Welcome to In the Author's Studio, and today I'll be talking to Robbie Kelman-Baxter about the book, The Forever Transaction. My name is Andrea Cates, and my partner in crime is Sean Moffitt. We are the Future Proofing Next team, and today we'll be talking about subscription economy and everything around what the difference is between a forever transaction and a different type of transaction. Future Proofing Next is innovation you can take to the bank, and what we say is that it's pragmatic and research-based, and what we're really helping people do in the community is bring ideas forward and actually getting companies to get to their next. So we're very excited right now to have Robbie Baxter with us. And I'll start with a question, which is that it's really hard to remember the early beginnings of companies like Amazon. You know, we think about a company selling books, and now today it's a uh, you know nineteen billion dollar industry in, in just in the subscription part. So I'm really interested in a couple of things. I mean, first of all, tell us about what the membership economy really is, and what inspired you to start looking at it, even when you started with the membership economy, which was your first book. Yeah. Well, so. When you when you think about Amazon and what they've done with membership as a retailer, um, it's it's really extraordinary. And you know when they started and they were just a purveyor of books, they always had this forever promise in mind. Jeff Bezos had this idea that it wasn't just about selling stuff; it was about the easiest way removing all friction for buyers to buy whatever they need in the most friction-free, easiest way possible. And over the last several years, he's layered in more and more value to better align with that vision. But, but way back when, it was just books. It was just books. And you know, his concept of kind of focusing on that long-term customer relationship and then building offerings around it, some of which justify recurring revenue, that's really what the membership economy is all about. It's about building a business model where the customer's goals and the company's goals are aligned for the long term. Uh, it's, it's characterized by you know, a move from ownership to access, from the transactional to the relational, from one-time payment to many-time payments, and from you know, the company yelling through their loudspeaker and hoping we'd listen to not just two-way communication, but multi-directional communication among customers under the umbrella of the, of the brand. And, um, you know, five years ago when I wrote Membership Economy, it was like my one pound business card trying to explain to people what this was and how powerful membership models and subscription pricing could be. Five years later, I don't have to explain that it's important anymore. Everybody is doing it. You know, you have this awesome slide of all of these companies that are doing membership in some way right now. So to start with the basics, because some of the people in the Future Proofing Next community don't even necessarily know what we mean by the membership economy. And then we'll talk about this next five years later, why the forever transaction is, is the new book. Yeah, so the membership economy is the, the term I gave to describe what I was seeing. Um, in this new way that organizations were structuring their business models. Um, 
moving away from anonymous transactions toward known relationships, um, using principles um, of, of membership uh, and tactics like subscription pricing, uh, digital community and liberal use of freemium where you know some members get everything for free forever and others pay a premium to get a better a better experience um, all of those elements together were kind of a painter's palette for a new way of designing business models around the the, the relationship and that's what I call the membership economy well one of the things that's I think interesting is that you know and we'll talk a little bit about your process in a minute but people feel, I feel like people say that they have a membership based business. You know, a lot of times, of course, there are a lot of SaaS businesses, software as a service, but now it's everything as a service. The other day we were joking about elevators as a service or, you know, yeah. dog food as a service or clothing as a service. Everything can be as a service now. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds from, from your book, one of the things that was a big insight for me is that you can't pay lip service to what the end-to-end -end really is all about. It, so there, there are sort of symptoms of things that look like membership-ish and look sort of subscription-ish. But the notion of a forever transaction is, to me, it's the difference between sort of date, date, date versus <laughs> commitment to marriage. It, there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a big shift that occurs when you realize that all of the things that are adding up, you know, people being loyal and transactions that seem to repeat, but what, what's the big difference if, in, in case people just listen to the beginning of this broadcast? Yeah, so it's funny because you talk about SaaS or, you know, XAAS, anything as a service. Um, and right now, truly everything has a subscription price tag slapped on it. Um, and as you point out, just, Going with subscription pricing does not a forever transaction make. Um, what you really want to do, if you want to enjoy that kind of long-term recurring revenue, predictable relationship where the customer is kind of married to you and in it for the long-term, you have to justify it, not just in your pricing around subscription pricing, but in around all the elements of your business model, um, all of your processes. So, having a forever transaction means not only that you might have subscription pricing, but it also means that you are um, using principles like customer success instead of customer support, which is a proactive making sure that your customers are happy rather than reactive waiting until they complain. It's about having the customer at the center and being focused on product market fit, not just at the moment of acquisition where that customers or prospect says, yeah, that's the thing I want. I love that headline benefit. I'm going to sign up. But also that you have benefits that keep that product market fit on an ongoing basis. So for example, if I offered you a subscription just to my one book and all you got was the rights to read that book whenever you wanted, you would say, well, that's not really that different than just owning the book. So why are you charging me every month? That is, even though I have subscription pricing, that is not a forever transaction. Now, on the other hand, if I say, I'm going to use all of my skills and abilities to come up with the best way to help you be successful with your business model. And I'm going to give you access to my book, but also courses and also a conference and also private coaching and also access to other people doing the same thing. Suddenly you might be willing to pay an ongoing, 
an ongoing fee for access to all of that value to solve your problem and achieve your goal for the long term. So it's really like a very different way of thinking about every part of the business. Well, it's interesting because a lot of times it seems that people's alignment um, around why they're doing it, and you've met, you cite a lot of examples in the book that we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, but the why, you know, a lot of times from the customer, from the company's perspective, wouldn't it be lovely to have someone, like you were saying, pay you every month for that book? Because yeah. every month I'd like to look at it on my shelf, whereas I'm actually not getting much value beyond the first read, perhaps, because it's really not structured for that. So one of the things that I think is, is very, very interesting is um, that, and I'd, I'd like to have you maybe even address this model, which I found really interesting, uh, the launch and leverage and lead model because it's it was very interesting for two reasons one is the brands that you talk about that are good examples of people who uh, exemplify something important about each of the stages but also i was surprised that different teams can enter the picture at different stages in this process you know that someone that's really going to lead you through a launch might not be the same one to lead you through the leverage or the or the lead process. So give us some examples, people. And as I said in our community, we love actual stories from some of the story <laughs> from some of the companies. So yeah, tell us tell us about these three stages and some examples that that illustrate them. Yeah. So. Um... So this is actually the structure of my of my book, The Forever Transaction, because um, what I wanted to do is help people kind of get into the details of how to build this kind of business model um, wherever you are in your subscription journey. So if you're just getting started, um, you're in launch phase, that could be you're an entrepreneur starting a business, you could be an intrapreneur, somebody that's doing something entrepreneurial inside a larger organization. So this is like when, um, you know, like my, my book, I talk about Nike um, and they wanted to create a subscription for kids sneakers. Um, so they did that out of, you know, kind of off to the side, not as core business, not held to the same standards and bureaucracy of the large company of Nike, but kind of treated more like uh, an entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, at the beginning, it didn't even have the Nike brand on it. Um, it was kept as, uh, as, as something completely separate. Um, then the second stage is, is leverage where you're scaling your business. And this is when you've done that little experiment off to the side, or you've started your company and you're at that point where you can kind of put your foot on the gas and you want to grow. And this is where you want to make sure you have the right culture. It's where you um, want to start investing in scalable infrastructure, technology, teams. Um, you want to have the right metrics and so on. And, you know, a couple of stories that I, that I talked about here. Um, one of them is electronic arts uh, that has historically been a very transactionally oriented business, 60 bucks for a video game, but they wanted to be player first. And they knew that players don't just play one game, they play lots of games. And they wanted to make it easier for players to switch from game to game, uh, for them to have kind of fixed prices, get exposed to different games and be able to play them with their friends. So they started off in a corner saying we're just going to use catalog games, old games, and we're just going to make it available on the PC, which is, you know, the smallest channel for their business relative to, let's say, going through a console like a, um, an Xbox or, um, you know, one of the video game consoles. So they started there because there was less risk. And then what I kind of walked through is all the different steps that they took to scale the business as they realized subscription is actually going to be core to how EA delivers value to their players. Um, and, you know, even in those two different phases, 
in the first phase, you need somebody really entrepreneurial, creative, visionary, strategic. Um, somebody who's kind of nimble, maybe has a lot of biz dev skill. Um, but in that leverage phase, that's where you need somebody who's an operator, right? You need somebody who can say, these are the rules, and this is how we're going to do things, and this is our process, and we're going to be consistent. And, you know, all those things that kind of, when you're more entrepreneurially minded, you're like, that's so boring, it's so slow. Um, but, but you need that structure and that organization so that you can scale seamlessly. And then the last piece, lead, is really for businesses that have been doing the membership economy for a while. Um, these are your professional associations, your news organizations, um, your, your fitness centers. Even I put Netflix here and I talked about Netflix. That was actually the first company I ever worked with that had a membership mindset. And these are companies that have to continually reinvent themselves. It's so tempting to just listen to your current members. And a lot of people are very proud, like we listen to our members, but at the cost of tomorrow's members. And so they become very dated and old and they say, well, nobody's joining. That's because young people aren't joiners, but it's really that a young person is coming in with fresh eyes and they're still looking for alternatives. So anyway, those are sort of the three, um, the three phases. Uh, and wherever you are, there are kind of opportunities and challenges that you face. I like the idea, you, you have this great idea that, uh, this quote in the book that says that companies a lot of times say, we want to be the Netflix of our industry. You know, they've yeah. become almost like a generic. And the thing that I thought was interesting is your quote is that it's, it's amazing how many different people interpret being like Netflix. So yeah. tell us about that. You know, people will say the same <laughs> thing, but really mean something very different when you dig down into it. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you can't, I mean, you know this because you're a business model expert. You can't just take someone else's model and just plunk it into your organization and say, let's just do that because so many things are different. So, you know, as an example, um, Netflix was my, my first client in the membership economy, but my second was PayCycle, which is part of Intuit. It's a payroll for, for small businesses. And one of the things that's really powerful in the Netflix model is the two-week free trial. So I came to PayCycle. I was like, we need a two-week free trial. And it turns out that for entertainment, they need the free trial so that people can experience it because that's the big hurdle is to see if the content is worth paying for. But when it comes to an online payroll solution for small businesses, the hurdle is not the cost. The hurdle is putting all of your data into their system. It's the switching cost that's the hardest thing. Mm. So, you know, free trial didn't make sense there. In fact, nothing really made sense for free for that model because the cost wasn't the issue. So, you know, when someone says they want to be the Netflix of something, I'm, I always ask, like, what does that mean? Does that mean that you want to have a catalog of content that people have access to you? Does that mean you want to figure out how to have subscription pricing? Um, does that mean that you want to be really data driven? Um, what does it mean for you? And then we can work backwards to make the model that's going to help you achieve your goals. You know, one of the things in the book that's really was shocking to me when I, until I read it, made a lot of sense is that a lot of people don't even realize that they have conflicting reasons. So yeah. they might in the back of their mind think, oh, this is a great way to have a revenue problem solved, not realizing that the investment is actually not going to pay off maybe for months 
maybe years. And so you can't be very, very, very short-sighted when you're trying to make this commitment because you'll end up with maybe the, a couple of quick hits. But I, I thought it was interesting that you can actually work across purposes. So you can get people in for a free part of the deal and then actually they're the wrong customers to begin with and you've kind of undermined your brand and, and done the wrong things. So, you know, talk about that when people are at cross purposes within one organization. Yeah. Oh, well, there's, there's a couple things. I mean, this, this happens all the time, especially with the word subscription, which is such a hot term right now. So someone on the board or someone on the executive team says, we need to do subscription. We need to be like Netflix. Um, and then someone on the team is like tasked with that. Go be like Netflix. And so I encourage them to say, well, figure out what that means. Does that mean that they want recurring revenue? Because businesses that have recurring revenue get valued with higher multiples, uh, 5X to 7X. So a lot of leadership will say, let's, let's do whatever it takes so that we can have more of our business be valued in that way. Um, or maybe they're trying to build more engagement or loyalty, or maybe they're trying to um, get closer to the customer, direct to consumer and subscription often go hand in hand. Um, and the other thing is that sometimes subscription is a marketing tool. Uh, so you, you either give something away for free as a way of staying in touch, or you have a cheaper offering that kind of keeps you connected for the long term in between the big purchases. So for example, Bain and Company, the consulting firm, uh, they have something called the um, Bain Net Promoter System Loyalty Forum, which is a community where it's the senior member of different customer-facing entities in organizations. So might be the head of retail, might be the head of customer service, might be the head of the call centers. Um, and those people gather to focus on issues around, you know, net promoter score, um, you know, how happy are your customers, how likely are they to refer. Um, it's not very, you have to pay to be a member, but it's not that expensive compared to the cost of a Bain project. And the reason they have that is it's a way to build trust, engagement, relationship on an ongoing basis with customers in between those big projects. It's a way of smoothing out the curve and deepening the relationships in what is ultimately a very lumpy business. So that's, that's subscription as more of a marketing tool than as a source of revenue. Well, one of the things, speaking of larger companies, I, I thought it was really interesting, the idea of Microsoft and LinkedIn and GitHub. The, the quote is, we needed to build deeper empathy for our customers and their unarticulated and unmet needs. And it felt to me as if when a large company, sometimes there's some unintended insights and consequences when you start to try to maybe acquire to develop a subscription capability or you try to develop some, some new technologies because you, you wanna have a relationship every single day, 24 seven with these customers. And yet it's, it's pretty challenging, especially it's one thing if you're a small SaaS company and you just want someone to always want your product every month and it's kind of a habitual product. But for the larger companies, it seems pretty complicated. Yeah, and um, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of Satya Nadella and what he's done at, at Microsoft um, in terms of really changing the culture there um, and the mindset of people. I mean, that's always been a, you know, a, a very sales first, technology first kind of a company. And he's really introduced the customer in a very meaningful way. And you know, 
uh, I used to be a product manager and, you know, one of the things that really stuck with me is that the, the customer's job is to tell you about their problems and how they do things today. And the product team's job is to figure out what to do for them. So you don't ask the customer what they want, but you do ask them and listen and understand about what they need. And I think, you know, during the kind of um, heyday of Apple and Steve Jobs, and we know what the customer wants before they know, because they don't even know. I think what people didn't get about that is it wasn't that he was saying customers are dumb and they don't know what they need. It was saying customers can tell you what they're doing now and show you what's inconvenient or uncomfortable about it. And then product people can say, I have a great idea for how to solve that problem. And I think when, when Nadella is talking about developing empathy, he's talking about using that empathy to understand the customer's problems and using that as the North Star to guide new products and services, whether through acquisition or through internal development. You know, it, it's funny because speaking of, of um, pro companies that, that have kind of had to look at customers a, a little differently, I, I was very struck by the quote and requote of uh, Zuckerberg, who is famously quoted as oh, saying, yeah. "Move fast and break things." And you <laughs> let us you let us realize that that's actually not enough anymore. That even that quote has been updated with "Move fast with, with stable infra." Yeah, <laughs> not as catchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because part of the the dirty little secret, it seems, with the transaction, excuse me, if forever transactions, is that metrics, pricing, experiments come from a heritage. And you said something really interesting in the book, which is that the back end can be really important, you know, whether it's uh, Stitch Fix or Under Armour or any of the companies that, you know, when you look under the hood, and you figure out that the genius behind a company might be that it really has thought through the infrastructure really well. Yeah. And it's thought through it at all the three different stages, the launch, the leverage, and the lead. Um, and so, yeah, tell us about this because it seems like uh, difficult to pick the right software to support the forever transaction versus a traditional transaction. Yeah. So, so the, the thing about the, the back office, you know, it's, it's funny, but the process um, is often like when people talk about a great successful company, they always want to talk about the marketing. They always want to talk about the product. Um, and they don't usually want to talk about the processes that make this product more successful at connecting with this particular market. And, you know, one really interesting example of that is uh, Dollar Shave Club, um, you know, which was eventually acquired by, uh, by Unilever for over a billion dollars. Um, and, you know, when, when you ask kind of general people, what's so great about Dollar Shave Club, they'll tell you, oh, they're catchy ads and they're low prices. Um, they're so funny and they're so irreverent. But if you really look under the hood at what they did, they um, understood how to do direct to consumer um, packaging, kidding, you know, sort of coming up with the right package for each person, customized, handling returns, handling support. It's a really complicated thing. Um, when Gillette tried to copy them, 
it became apparent really quickly that they didn't understand all those details, how to manage you know, off cycle deliveries, how to manage the returns and the problems, how to do customer support. You know, Gillette's never had to do you know, direct customer support before and they ship in pallets, um, not in small pretty boxes with tissue paper and a handwritten note from the packer. So you know, thinking that whole thing through um, a lot of times that's where the magic is, even if it's not that, you know, sexy to, to talk about. Well, there'll be one last idea that I wanted to talk about because we could literally talk about this for hours. Yeah. A lot of people really love practical how you get started. It struck me that the Nike Adventure Club was one that was, first of all, is it still a work in process? It still exists. Yeah. It's it they they in July of this past year, they launched with the Nike name. Um and uh yeah, they're doing great. They're actually, you know, really doing doing well. Uh, well, it strikes me that that either that or another example of something where, you know, how do you get started? If you have bits and pieces, because part of yeah. it's it's lovely to to read a book like The Forever Transaction and understand that there's a membership economy. And we have some parts of our business that have accidentally become kind of habitual for our customers. There are others that have started to become something that people want. It used to be software and then an upgrade, and then it became, you know, pay for the software and it'll upgrade when it wants to. Um, things like shaving, you know, it's a habit. And is it a razor and a blade or is it a shave club? And so some of these companies that, that are out right now probably are hybrids. There's a little bit of bits and pieces, but how do you get started really? What's the first thought you have to think about when you say, okay, we're going to proactively be organized about committing to be a forever transaction company? I think the first thing you have to do is know who you're serving really well and what your promise is to them and use that as your North Star. And then whatever offerings you have, whatever products you build, whatever services you layer in, you wanna say, is that gonna be the best way to help my customer achieve their ongoing goal? So funny story, um, I, I was giving a talk for entrepreneurs that were starting their own subscription businesses and one of the women raises her hand and she says, well, I have a business, I'm, it's my subject matter expertise, great, lots of people build around subject matter expertise, um, and my expertise is potty training. <laughs> and I'm having trouble keeping my subscribers for more than two months. So I'm thinking that I'm going to require them to buy an annual membership first and then go month to month. What do you think of that? Right. And, you know, I mean, you're laughing because you get the joke, which is your promise has to be for some kind of a problem or some kind of a goal that is going to last for the long term. Um, the yeah. other kind of funny one is, um, you know, LinkedIn was founded by the same people who had previously founded a dating site called SocialNet. And same issue, right? You, you have all this infrastructure for a forever transaction, but this is actually a transaction, you know, from the time that you get serious about finding your soulmate to the time you find them, that might be six months. So even if the company does a great job and really gets to know you, you don't need them anymore after that. And they don't want you, right? We don't want, we don't want right. committed people in our dating pool. So for people just getting started, make sure you have a forever transaction in mind, a long-term promise that justifies it. 
and that you know who you're serving so that you can continue to layer in value for them. And you can do that as a solopreneur running a small business. Um, you can do that as, let's say, uh, running a nail salon, saying um, instead of getting a manicure, which I don't really want, I just want my nails to look good. So in the beginning, that might mean that, you know, I can pay a fixed fee and come back whenever I need to get my nails touched up. Um, but it might eventually mean that you start giving me some kind of a pill that makes my nails just grow red, right? Um, and so, you know, the goal or, or car wash, right? I don't want to ever, you know, car washes talk about going from 10 minutes to nine and a half minutes. Who cares? <laughs> what we want is a clean car. We want the ferries to come and take our car, get it clean and bring it back. So, you know, you can start to see how if you focus on the promise of a clean car or nice nails, you start to have all kinds of new ideas for how to build the model. And that's really yeah. what I'm trying to encourage people to do. Well, I'll, I'll summarize with a couple of things because at the end of In the Author's Studio, we um, sort of stole an idea from the person who started In the Actor's Studio. Hope we don't get sued. Um, but we'll be doing the quick, the quick ones at the end here. Um, but let me just tell you a couple of things that were my takeaways from the book. Number one is this notion of customer lifetime value, which we le all learn in business school, and we think of it pretty much from an economic perspective only. I think that you were really great at understanding that I might love you now, you know, it's attractive now, but what do I do in this longer term way, you know, and over the lifetime of a customer, you have to be really responsive to the changing needs. And I thought that your notion of triggers versus hooks, you know, like, you, you, you get me to sign up because of pricing or whatever, but, but to get me to stay is very different and not everybody's gonna be in that. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought this notion of dating versus marriage, um, that, you know, you might even, it might even be a different customer. You know, you might love to go thinking, you know, not to keep thinking of this, this analogy, but you know, it's one thing to have flowers on a table and romantic thing, you know, a romantic feeling, yeah. but, you know, marriage is a lot different than that. And, and the, the, the idea of, you know, trustworthiness and, and economic partnership and raising children, the stakes are different. And, and so it might be different. I loved your, your thing of don't hide the cancel button. Yeah. Because somebody has been saying, I, I think it was something that was posted on social media when you and I sort of crossed each other on, in, over an article and we were discussing the forever transaction and someone said, oh yeah, subscriptions are putting handcuffs on people. Um, and that's, a, that's unfair. You know, there are some things that probably feel that way, but I thought that the way that you describe these is, is very different from that and that companies can think of that. And I think that it's this other notion of trust, you know, that the ability to, to really establish trust, like you're not going to nickel and dime me. You had a great, um, I, example of even two different groups in a test market who knew that one was getting a better deal than the other, because yeah. everything's transparent. So that is a challenge. And then the last thing was subscription fatigue. You know, I don't know how many things I can subscribe to. I have my music, I have my workout, I have, you know, everything is a subscription now. At some point, will we get fatigued? So that was what impressed the Future Proofing Next group. Um, what are your thoughts about those, those issues? And is there anything that we missed that you'd like for our community to think about? No, I think, I think you actually, uh, you're so prepared and you're so smart. So I feel like you covered a lot. Um, you're, you know, you got right into the, right into the, the meat of it. Um, I think one thing that I'd want to say is that during this time, you know, we're, we're talking uh, in the spring of 2020 during this um, coronavirus crisis pandemic. And, 
you know, the rubber is really hitting the road right now because, you know, you talk about hiding the cancel button. You know, there's a few bad actors that are doing that, um, you know, making it hard for people to cancel. Um, and there are some companies that are really holding the customer's long-term goals in mind and using that as a North Star. And so I think it's just important to remember that the reason we're doing this um, is because it's good for business, but it's also good for the soul. You know, my sister says, good for the pocketbook, good for the soul. It's a, it's a, it's a model that I think when it's done right, um, it can make us uh, feel good about the work we do. Well, I like the, I, the, the positive side. Handcuffs is the wrong side of it. I think that, that uh, a commitment is really the right side of it. It's a two-way commitment. You know, the customer is going to be expecting you to, you know, to, to basically the, the customer commits to you and expects you to be responsive to them. And I think it's, it sounds much more fair. As I think that uh, it's, it's actually the, the notion of, of changing your company from a product and transaction mindset to a forever transaction mindset feels like the exact type of approach in this crisis. And speaking of which, what was it like to actually, I'm, I'm serious, to launch your book during this COVID-19 crisis, this pandemic? I mean, what, what was that like? So, you know, it, there were ups and downs. Um, you know, I, I feel like a, like, a, like a farmer who planted all of my fields and then had a tornado blow them away. Because uh, I was so prepared for this launch and so, and I was actually so excited about it and, you know, a lot of in-person events and seeing the people who'd helped me write the book and the, the people who were case studies and all of that was gone. So I had to kind of mourn that. Um, and then it's also kind of funny to, to talk about the book in a time when there's so much going on. And so I have to keep going back to what can this do for people who are struggling right now? Um, so that's kind of a, a pivot in terms of how to think about the book. Um, the nice thing is people are saying that it's helping them uh, right now in a time where a lot of businesses are really struggling to find their North Star and to regain their footing in these kind of uncharted waters. Uh, that was a heck of a mixed metaphor right there. But this idea that the book can help people um, find their way in this you know, pretty tough time makes me feel like it was worth it. Well, I have to say also, I loved the, your writing. It was, it was this great combination of really well-researched, but in a very open-minded way. And your, your writing style is very readable. It made me want to do it. It made me want to create a forever transaction division or company because of the way you described it. And also your examples were always practical. So you had one, two, three. So there would be a narrative and then you say, okay, here's how to do this. Step one, step two, step three. Here's a chart to use. You're so generous with your materials. And I, I thought that it was frameworks that everyone can relate to no matter what, no matter what industry they're in. Well, that's, that makes my day. Cause that was my goal. Um, you know, it's kind of dirty little secret of publishing is that very few authors actually make a living as authors. And, and I certainly don't, although my books have, have sold, you know, top 5% of all business books, um, but that does not a living make. Uh, so the reason I wrote the book is to help people. You know, I wanted to give them the frameworks and 
the processes that I know will help them be successful and also give them the right mindset to take care of their customers as well. And, you know, don't tell McGraw-Hill, but I don't care if you get the book from the library. Um, I just want people to read it and apply it in a way that's useful. Well, now I know you're really interested in doing the author's dozen. So the first six, and these are, <laughs> these are quick shots. And it could be anything in general. So what is overhyped right now? Uh, Instacart, uh, the, 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 the change, I don't even know. <laughs> Instacart's fine, yeah. It's just, I think great. Instacart is overhyped right now. And what do you think is underhyped right now? Uh, I think human, communal connection. I think we're we're living in a culture that values the individual so much and this concept of meritocracy, which I don't think is true. Um, I think that, you know, the, the value of taking care of other people and having your destiny tied to the destiny of others is underhyped. What's your favorite quote? Um, nobody loves you like your mama loves you. <laughs> <laughs> favorite statistic? Real or imagined? Um, favorite statistic. Uh, well, my favorite one from today was that only 11% um, of all subscription businesses have lost customers, net lost customers since uh, February. Uh, and that means that 89% of subscription businesses that take a long-term focus on their customers are either neutral or doing well. So That's I would love to see that. Yeah. So other than uh, Sean Moffat and Andrea Cates, who would you invite over to your change mass, your change makers last supper? Yeah. Well, part? you guys get to sit on either side of me. Thank um, you very but much. I wouldn't, <laughs> but I would love to have Satya Nadella at dinner. I would love to hear how he changed that company's, uh, how the, yeah. the culture and the work ethic and the way they collaborate, just everything. If you were 23 again, what, uh, given what you know now, what would you be doing? Uh, using sunscreen and um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah. Well, um, have you ever been blindsided by a shift in 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 the market? Just something that took you by surprise? Uh, yeah, like about three weeks ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was not, I did not the from from you know the the Monday when my daughters called and said that they were being sent home from college. They were the first college to be sent home that I knew of. Um, to Thursday when I was starting to get a little nervous about getting too close to strangers, to Monday where we had a countywide shelter in place. I mean, I, I've never experienced the world shift so fast in a way that I was not expecting. Mm. Company you admire today that we've heard of? You, I, you... Well, I said um, Microsoft and yeah. I'll say LinkedIn too. I mean, they're part of Microsoft now, but there's so many things about their business model and the way they run things that is so, so smart and so long-term focused, so sustainable. And a company you admire that we've never heard of? Um, Amava, a uh, company f uh, platform for uh, people, you know, kind of along your, your, your um, mission lines, but to discover your next. But they're talking about people when they retire or when they stop working full-time. And um, I think that their business model is really solid. And I think that the way they run their company uh, with, with professionalism, but transparency, um, they've struck a really nice balance um, and their focus is on the long-term. Great. How would you like other people to describe you as a change maker or an impact maker? Uh, well, the way you described my writing was pretty good. I, <laughs> 
that, that she has lots of research, but she puts it forward in a really clear and practical, practical and useful way that makes people want to do the right thing. That's, that's pretty good. It's such a great book, really. Uh, okay, technology, anything that's intriguing you these days? We're all kind of uh, at home with lots of technology. Any, anything intriguing you? Yeah, I like this idea of kind of the membership of things, this idea that you could, you know, like you said, join your elevator or join your refrigerator and what kind of value could be provided from the object itself that is always kind of present in your life, but you don't think about. I find that really interesting. And uh, what do you do for fun when you're not in shut-in mode? Oh, well, my kids would say for fun, I like to work. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> I like to read. I like to do yoga. I like to socialize. Um, those are probably the things I like to do the most. I am so thrilled that we've had you with us. It was such an, an amazing conversation. Robbie Kelman Baxter, everyone should read this book, The Forever Transaction. It is a great read. It's unfortunate and unfortunate at the same time, unusual, that it's been launched at a time of uh, love and the time of cholera. <laughs> but um, but, it, but it's, it's, it's a book that really makes you feel good about humanity. So I, I actually recommend it as a book that you should read even when you're shut in. And Robbie, do you want to tell us a little bit about the goodies? Yeah, yeah. So um, I have, uh, you know, if you, if you go to my website and uh, slash audience, uh, you can get some, some slides, the ones that, that we showed you today, plus a bunch more. Uh, my membership manifesto, which kind of explains why this trend is happening now and what it means for you. And you get the whole chapter eight, which is my culture chapter, which is especially uh, relevant, I think, right now. And are you something we can subscribe to? Are you going to be a subscription economy person, a membership economy uh, person? Yeah, well, I have a lab, a membership economy lab, where you can, you can join the lab to uh, work on your, on your business. Um, and then, of course, I have, I have a newsletter as well. So those are two ways to, uh, to be in a forever transaction with me. Well, great. Well, I'll uh, do a little soft close, and then we'll close a little more formally when I stop sharing the screen. So this is Future Proofing Next. And we have had with us today Robbie Kelman-Baxter. The Membership Economy was her first book. And today we talked about the forever transaction. It was really interesting to talk about launching, leveraging, and leading. And I've got to say that this was really energizing. I felt very uplifted. Oh. Great book, great conversation. Any last words you'd like to say, Robbie? Uh, just thanks for, thanks for having me. I love being in the author's studio. Um, I've always you know, loved that concept. So this was a lot of fun to talk to you. It was great. Okay, well, see you again in the future. See you in the future.